Hey everyone, it is 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Welcome to episode 25. Uh, I, I didn't really have like a topic set or anything like that, so I figured I would just rehash uh, something that we did last time. We did kind of a uh, a weekend a.m. p.m. whatever it is for you in the world. Uh, episode 25, brunches for assholes, part two. And uh, this is just going to kind of be week in review of anything you guys want to talk about that you saw this week. Obviously, we had the shooting assassination of Shinzo Abe, which was pretty shocking. And um, I, I don't think it's, like, shocking enough yet. Like, it feels like already two days later this is already out of the news. And, again, I'm not the biggest expert on Japanese politics, but this, Abe was one of the most consequential, uh, you know, leaders of modern history of just our time here in the last years. He, you know, worked to modernize Japan's military to counter the growing threat against China. He was outspoken supporter of Taiwan. And as I said on my podcast yesterday, when I was kind of, uh, I was, I was just doing some doom scrolling before bed. And then this kind of started to come across my feed. Uh, my first reaction was that this was possibly a China sanctioned hit. And I was just like, Oh fuck, here comes, here comes possibly World War Three, and um, it doesn't look to be that. There's a lot of weird circumstances around this. That Abe had an association with a like a religious group, um, not like a speaking relationship, and this was a guy who was disgruntled over it and shot him for that reason. And he was an unemployed forklift operator, and uh, created hand, you know, created homemade guns that they pulled out of his place. Abe was basically assassinated by the Riddler, by all accounts to everything. Um, So uh, there's no silver lining to any of that, but that was my worst fear, is that this was uh, a a China state-sanctioned assassination, and I was just like, well, hold on to your butts. Um, And like I said, it already feels like that's kind of just come and gone. Um, President Applesauce brains didn't do himself any favors yesterday by fumbling all over uh, his remarks on Abe, where he said that this was like the only gun death in the history of Japan or something. I don't know. Uh, end quote, repeat line. Um, so if you have any thoughts on that, I know I know Japanese politics is such a niche thing, but if you have any thoughts on that, great. Uh, we also have from Political Playbook, this morning, basically excusing left-wing protesters uh, protesting not necessarily Brett Kavanaugh uh, going out to Morton's Steakhouse, but the restaurant itself. And you're starting to see this new tactic uh, to where they have decided to target businesses and restaurants and waitstaff and bartenders. And I thought I thought this was supremely ironic coming from a party that claims to be for working people. Um, we saw a couple of these Twitter dorks try to organize through Yelp and through open table to basically book up restaurants in full. Uh, if Supreme court justices are seen eating there to basically get the restaurant to not take their reservations anymore. Um, it's just, I mean, it's pure goonery that doesn't hurt the Supreme court. It hurts obviously people's tips. And their whole reaction to that is just kind of like, eh, oh, well, you know, if you're going to host fascists and that's what we're going to do, um, I guess if they want to create entire wait staffs full of Republicans, this is the way to go. Um, 
I, I this is just not something I can get angry for. I, I just shrug at this. I, I I'm I'm laughing as you know, you people just lost a landmark court case and the most you can do is prank a restaurant. Um, this comes back to what I said about they don't really have a plan. They, they don't have any plan whatsoever uh, to organize and combat Roe because they used it for a talking point for so long that they didn't actually think that, oh, you know, this court decision could be reversed. Uh, Kamala Harris, in her own unique, inspirational way, said as much. And uh, so now you have both political playbook saying that Morton's for defending the restaurant saying, you know, people can come in here and they have a right to just eat in privacy and eat in peace. The of course statement isn't referencing a constitutional right there, just like abortion isn't a constitutional right. So the cool kids table in our media thought they would run with that. Um, and again, I, I shrug at just how embarrassing this is. This is, you know, it's like the alpha betas suffering a historic loss at the nerds and then, you know, still just throwing insults. Uh, you, it's, it's laughable that this is, I guess, what their response is. Um, there's groups called Shutdown DC who have, you know, ramped up and they're basically just putting bounties saying, if you see, you know, one of these justices at a restaurant, you know, we'll give you $200 to tip off, whatever. Um, the interesting part of that behavior is that is a direct violation of Twitter's terms of service based on their own wording. And of course, we see again that that's not something that violates uh, Twitter's terms of service, at least to them. So you have, again, a media who's encouraging this kind of behavior uh, because I would argue that they don't have a response to this as well. And they're just kind of caught flat footed. Also, there's polling coming out to suggest that this, the bounce that the political left got from the Dobbs decision is now fading already because that's the new cycle we're in. It's, you know, is this, oh, it, the, the decision's overturned and now two weeks later we're, we're on to other things. And so uh, that's kind of another thing that happened this week. The other interesting thing that happened this week, uh, which uh, if you've been paying attention to my Twitter feed from just this morning, is uh, the president in all of his wisdom, echoed a news report of a 10-year-old girl who was left, left her home in Ohio to travel to Indiana to secure an abortion. This was based on the account of one uh, Planned Parenthood OBGYN claim that said that this was a patient or whatever, and they had to do this. And this woman named Dr. Caitlin Bernard gave an interview to the Indy Star and she's the only source on this. There's no other, there's no other documents. There's no police reports. Um, and according to law, she would have had to, if she saw this or she performed it, she would have had to have reported it. And she didn't. There's no documentation on this whatsoever. Uh, several news outlets picked the story up. They spread it. Um, and then it, again, made its way to the president. This is, again, another kind of Twitter thing that happened, similar to the uh, border agents whipping migrants, supposedly. Um, Snopes could not conf could not confirm this story as well, which I read that yesterday. And today, we do have a fact check, quotes in, in quote marks, from Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post, who uh, I guess does his best debunking of this story without actually saying it's debunked because, again, he's on the political left and doesn't want to get their hopes, you know, doesn't want to dash their hopes. He has an interesting line in this story. He says, with news reports around the globe and now, and now however, presidential uh, imprimatur, however, the story has acquired the status of a fact, no matter its provenance. If a rapist is ever charged, the fact finally would have more solid grounding. 
And people are taking issue with, he uses fact in quotes, but he doesn't do it the second time. Um, and like I said, this appears to just be kind of the new definition. The story has acquired the status of a fact, no matter of its provenance. Well, you're a fact checker. It's your job to make sure that that kind of shit doesn't happen. Um, we know why he won't do that, because that means standing up against colleagues. It means being ostracized in his own newsroom. And that's more important than, again, being a proud, brave gatekeeper of what is and what is not truth. Um, again, also, uh, National Review has dug into the story a little bit, John McCormick, noting that no criminal report had been filed. Um, this this 10-year-old girl or her family, they can't even verify her identity because of HIPAA law. So it's kind of convenient for this one abortionist to tell the story and then say, but I can't, I can't tell you anything more because of patient-doctor confidentiality. And our journalists, in all their wise wisdom, instead of digging into it more, because that's what they're paid to do, is to go find this person, regardless of HIPAA law, uh, they just went, oh, okay, oh, sorry, sorry to bother you. And the story is now spread, again, all over Twitter. And it made it to President Applesauce Brains. Uh, he had a pretty animated reaction. It's the most animated we've seen of him in 10 years. Um, but it's out there. Biden will go out and he'll campaign and he'll repeat the story and they'll repeat it. And that's, again, the point of all of this. And the uh, fact checkers will just kind of uh, step aside. Uh, another thing that happened this week, and I don't even believe this was real, but it was in Political Magazine. An author says John Stewart should run for president. This piece was repeated by people like Bill Kristol, and then, of course, Lawrence Tribe picked it up, suggesting, and, and I've read this piece, and it doesn't read like satire. It should be, but it's not, that if the Republicans run somebody like Tucker Carlson, then they should run Jon Stewart. And all I can kind of sit there and do is gouge my eyeballs out and uh, fight back the uh, desire to boil my own head over something like this, because these are the same people who wonder aloud, how did we end up with Donald Trump? Um, this is, this has gone back to suggesting people like Michelle Obama should run or celebrities should run. Uh, I think back in 20, 2014, I had a piece somewhere that I said, George Clooney would be the Democrat nominee. And, uh, I, I laid out some good reasoning. And a lot of this is the same reasoning that the celebrity uh, cause will bring more voters in and whatever, it, except people forget that the same people lost their absolute ever loving shit over John Stewart saying that the uh, coronavirus came from a Wuhan lab. And this just happened a few months ago. So, uh, just a few things that happened this week. Another fun one is Sri Lanka is apparently in full chaos, full uh, government collapse. And if you've paid any kind of attention to what Sri Lanka has been doing the last few years. It's kind of the uh, fertile experimental ground of what the Green New Deal is trying to implement. Um, they got rid of pesticides to, you know, make it more green friendly uh, farming. And it turns out they couldn't grow enough food. And now the, and now the whole place is starving. Uh, they cut back on fossil fuel usage and importing fossil fuels uses. Now there's no fuel in the country. And this has led to them basically crashing the residence of the president. Um, I get Greta Thunberg as president of Sri Lanka now. C congrats, Davos. You get, you did it. You did your great reset. How dare you? Um, so this is also going to be just one to watch. And uh, the spectacle of the protesters storming the palace and swimming in the guy's pool um, is uh, it, it's getting generating media attention now. But when it comes down to how this happened and why it happened, 
uh, you're not going to see much analysis into that. And again, we kind of know why. So it was a, uh, it was a fun, busy week. A lot of, uh, malfeasance on the part of people in our media. Um, we obviously also with uh, Shinzo Abe had the NPR and AP deleting their original obits of him because apparently anyone who's ever just taken a picture with Donald Trump, uh, has to be smeared even in death. And so, uh, again, those were just kind of the things, uh, we'll go, I'm going to hopefully go for an hour cause I know we all have our weekend here. Um, but, uh, for those of you who are new, uh, if this is your first time joining us here, feel free to, uh, just jump up into the queue and, um, just make a, make your point pithy or whatever you want to talk about and, um, have a good back and forth, but, uh, don't, don't be shy. We, we get a little nutty here and especially on the weekends. So, uh, with that, I'll just take David. Uh, I think David's been here before. I think I recognize the photo. Um, so David, any thoughts on anything either I brought up or just something I haven't brought up or just something that you saw this week? Uh, on this lunch, brunches for assholes edition of the podcast. Hey, Stephen. Uh, I think the last time, a couple call-ins ago, I got cut off with uh, bad reception, and uh, you, you, <laughs> I actually you sound ended good up now. Talking so. for about a good three minutes. Yeah, you sound good now. So you fix that, or Colin fixed it. I'm not going to blame you. I'll blame Colin. Uh, no, I got a bad reception sometimes out here, and um, was it um. Where so, is out? Where is, yeah, I got where, where is out here? Uh Grand Rapids area. Oh, okay. Sometimes, sometimes when I leave leave the city, um, and I'm driving around, I'll I'll lose reception. Okay, so the wilds of Michigan. Yes, you're a brave man. <laughs> yeah, um, moving moving to Florida actually pretty soon. Moving back to Florida. I'm from Miami. You and everyone else. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, let me see. But uh, let's see, I ended up talking for a good three minutes before I realized that uh, I uh, I was cut off. <laughs> so um, that's just a prank I like to pull on people. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I didn't even know I um, I just kept talking. But uh, I think what I was trying to get to, uh, we were talking about it kind of relates to the whole restaurant thing. Uh, that has kind of happened this week. Uh, a lot of pregnancy centers, and I used to volunteer, and my wife used to volunteer for one um, in Florida. And let's see, they were faith-based, uh, so that's one thing. But talking with them and talking to those people that had, who are still there, um, they were kind of scared uh, about what is going to happen. They've had threats. They've called police. Police have helped, been helpful, um, which is a great thing. But here's the thing: like the the left, it seems like they just want to use and target normal people. They kind of claim that they're for women and helping women. And there's always that meme that they do, like uh, you know, you're only pro life until the until the, the baby leaves the womb or something like that. And they don't actually care about like people, but like people who work in these places are just very, they really don't care too much about politics and they just really want to help uh, birth mothers, like, uh, you know, have a good life and keep the baby. And uh, obviously they don't want that. They don't want that mother to abort the baby. So really what it is, is that rage against pregnancy centers uh, really is, they kind of think that abortion is a good thing. And yeah, what's what's interesting is we've seen 
attacks on some of these places. And I don't, I don't publicize a lot of those because I, until they catch people who are doing it, but then we had a group on the left come out and take credit for it. Um, so what is it? Justice for Jane or Jane says or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so I'm always skeptical of crimes like that. Just be, I think you have to be, but we've seen several of these and we've seen groups come out and take credit for it. Uh, we saw one girl arrested, uh, who was a leftist antagonizer. She was caught on like the doorbell cam of one of these places. And, uh, that was then punctuated by Elizabeth Warren coming out and saying, we need to get rid of these places. And that was such an elevation of uh, where we are, where it was kind of like, you know, these places are, are there to help encounter what, a, what Planned Parenthood is. Certainly, they don't seem to have the structural advantage, even based on what you're saying, uh, the financial or structural advantage that a place like Planned Parenthood has. And now you had a United States senator coming out and saying, basically, we need to get rid of all of these places. Uh, buried in Joe Biden's executive order, and this was something that wasn't publicized much, uh, was uh, uh, part of the executive order was directed through the Attorney General Merrick Garland to start looking at these crisis, some of these crisis centers, their tax status, and um, their basically their government tax status. Are they receiving government loans? Are any of these places receiving federal dollars? <clears throat> so. Biden himself is looking at going after these places as well. Um, what's really interesting about this is, and this is really isn't a new point, but, you know, we saw fencing go up around the Supreme Court. We saw windows being boarded up in D.C. Uh, in other cities like New York and stuff like that. And then you obviously had these attacks on these uh, pregnancy centers and you can't get a single journalist to answer why. Why, why do we need to do this over a Supreme Court decision? Who's, whose violence are you afraid of? I don't think it's the side that won. They seem to be celebrating. Um, but you can't get a single person in our media to even answer the question about wh who are you protecting your storefronts from? <laughs> like, who exactly is doing this? And these are the, again, if they, if they start doing that, they're going to lose the narrative that it's the political right, thanks to those yahoos on January 6th, that is the, the true uh, threat in this country or whatever. And it's it's just pretty much all kayfabe to keep you distracted from the fact that, like you said, y your wife and her colleagues are like genuinely scared that their place could be attacked or firebombed or the government could just come in and shut it down completely. Yeah. Yeah. In Florida, uh, I saw something that DeSantis was looking to help fund these and bring them state funds, which would be something that the whole right can get behind. I feel like if we're going to fund, you know, Planned Parenthood through. um through tax dollars and i feel like that is something one of those things that the new like the right should i almost said the new right i don't like that <laughs> um <laughs> david are you an oath keeper are you a proud boy david but uh no i am cuban though so <laughs> what is it um but that's something that uh the right can get behind post uh post row uh, I feel like that is something that we could do going forward and would be really beneficial and could kind of put a stick in the narrative that we only care about life when it's in the womb. Um, and also another thing, um, let's see a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of misinformation through media and everything like that, seeing that there's going to be a lot of overreach with abortion laws. And I, I can't, I can't, I, I don't remember a single pro-life person uh, ever 
you know, wanting to persecute the mother, it'd be more going after the clinics. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is also, I mean, they're pushing that while pushing, you know, banning birth control, which is uh, laughable in the sense that it depends on what they consider birth control. But it's also you're talking about the party that four years ago tried to push over the counter birth control. Uh, yeah. Joni Ernst was trying to sponsor a bill and that got shot down by the Democrats and got shot down by Planned Parenthood because that would cost Planned Parenthood a, a fuck ton of money. And so, nope, they, they weren't going to go for that. And so those are all policies that they should be pushing. And you know, Aaron Bruning has an interesting thing today in the Washington Post, and she's no right wing crazy. Um, just basically saying if, if you really want to false, you know, claim your pro-life, foster pro-life, then you should be for like 100% federal funding for free postnatal care, uh, medical bills, uh, you know, workers' comp, all of that stuff. And that's, I mean, that's implementing, again, a socialist system over, the, you know, over our medical system. And so I, I don't think that even the pro-life side is all for that. Maybe, um, but like I said, I think that there are ways that they can, go about this. I think that they can make adoption easier and cheaper. For example, this was something I asked on my podcast this week, anybody who had adopted, what was that process like? And if, if anyone who's listening to this out there has adopted and you want to share that experience, jump up in the queue. Um, and I completely agree that that's something that needs to be looked at. It needs to be something that needs to be more accessible. Uh, the foster system needs to be streamlined and again, updated. And that's again, from what I, from what people have told me is just red end to end red tape, which there's things that should be, there's a lot of legal matters when it comes to adoption, but there are ways of making it more affordable, making it easier. And so there's, there's things that they, they can start talking about right now. And like I said, I, I don't see realistic solutions being talking, being talked about on the political left. They want to, they want to open abortion teepees on federal lands. Well, the Hyde amendment prevents that. So next uh, we, we, we're going to impeach Supreme Court justices. Well, you're not going to be able to do that either. So next, we're, uh, get, get rid of the filibuster. Well, you're not going to be able to do that either. So what do you got? In, and you can just go down the line. So what they've settled on is we're just going to, I guess, make restaurant employees really uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and adoption, too. I've I, I've had a lot of friends who have adopted. Um, they, it took forever. It was very mentally draining. Um, we, my wife and I have looked into it. And it's just, it, it's a lot. It's very, it's like buying another car. Um, and you, you make a monthly payment to these places and it's just, um, it's, it's a, it's a lot, but a lot of those families that do adopt can do it. Can you, uh, can you, can you trade it in in a few <laughs> years for a newer model? <laughs> I need to refinance my adoption. Yeah, zero down, zero, zero refinance. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Especially. And then a- after it gets too much mileage on the kid, you can just turn it back in for a for a newer, <laughs> a newer, younger one or a classic or a vintage, you know, um, that's funny. Yeah, you could trade them after 13. <laughs> no, we have to see um, insurance rates go for. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's very it's a very str- like it's a very strenuous process and can be very emotionally draining where. Well, there's a birth mother who wants to put her baby for adoption. You can't actually sign the papers until the baby is actually sought until the baby is actually given birth, like is birth. Then you have a little bit of a window to where the mother can sign it away. And a lot of times, you know, you, you pay a lot of money for this birth mother who during her pregnancy, um, uh, 
her rent is covered, her food is covered, and you're paying for all that. That's expensed. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times families lose money when the mother changes her mind. But, um, yeah, it's a very, it's a very uh, demanding process. Is your wife still in, uh, is your wife still working in crisis centers? Uh, no, she, um, she's a, uh, music teacher. So, um, yeah, but we, we would volunteer there. Uh, we'd help people out. I'd help with fathers whenever they needed something, bringing them food, bring rent to very high risk places. Uh, that's what I would do. Um, so like, let's say if, you know, a, a crisis pregnancy center that it's pretty much all women, uh, they need to go to a high risk area where there's a very shady guy with rent who I'd go there and, and pay for it. Um, or if I needed to talk to a father to get a signature, I'd go there, pay, for, um, get the signature, talk to the father. Um, yeah, it's very, in- very intense. So, um, that's the type of work that I would do. And then my wife would just kind of go there help them with folding clothes or something like that. Um, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Uh, you have anything else on your mind you want to quickly do wrap up here? Um, I know you're a big, uh, sports design guy, but I had a theory the other day that I was talking with uh, my friends about that the nineties was probably the best era of like sports design and team logos. And, uh, I don't know if it's just nostalgia that we look back on that area. Like, uh, I was talking about the Panthers logo. Panthers logo was the new one. It's kind of amateur. It looks like an MLS logo. And... (laughs) Um, I think are you talking about just the NHL or just like in general? Like I think like the nineties, nineties were weird for like NBA uniforms. I think like they all did the pinstripes on them. Yeah, and, that, um, either jerseys still. They're like Nike's coming with all these jerseys next year that are retro, and we just keep doing the retro thing. Um, yeah, I see. I I, I don't I, retro stuff doesn't really bother me. I like kind of classical looks like. Uh, especially like in baseball, I wish they just go back. I wish every team would just go back to like the elaborate fonts and striped socks and whatever. Baseball uniforms are just so boring to me. Um, not that I watch a sport that much anyway. Um, there's about like, I think there's probably about 10 uniforms in, in the NHL that I would revamp um, and just like completely redo that I just, I don't think are very good. And I, I do like, kind of that cream heritage color, especially in hockey. And I like, like the brown mitts and stuff like that. Um, the nineties were interesting because it was, you're kind of like the earlier you're coming off the hyper color stuff. Like for those of you who are Gen X kids, you had the hyper color where you, you know, everything was neon and it was different colors. And so like the NBA, especially adopted brighter colors and stuff like that. Um, the NHL, I would agree with you on the Florida Panthers logo. I, I like I like the color scheme. I like the design of the Panthers uniforms now, but I don't like the logo. It just it looks weird to me. They look too pretty almost. Um, but I'd, I'd have to think about that. I mean, in '90s in football, that's when you had you know the Broncos change their uniforms over, and the NFL is another one where I'd like to see like five teams update their uniforms. Like I, I hate the Kansas City Chiefs uniforms. I hate the team too. 
but that that uniform scheme is just out of like the 1970s. It doesn't look good. Um, and I'd like to see the Broncos go back to like the navy blue helmet with the D logo and just get rid of the blue stripey pipey shit and just go back to like the orange jerseys. But um, I don't know. I'd have to think more about that. Like I'd have to go back and look like when you say the nineties uniforms, the first thing I think about is the NBA and I'm not someone who's an NBA fan, but I do remember like just the, the bright colors and the baggy shorts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw that the NBA is going to be re-releasing a lot of, uh, a lot of the 90s, 80s uniforms this year, and they're probably going to wear them just as much as they wear the normal uniforms. And, um, But, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got today. <laughs> cool, David. Good to hear from you. Thanks. Yeah. We'll just keep plowing through. Donna, how are you? Hi, Stephen. Well, my turn came up quickly. Um, I just have two things, actually. One, um, a journalistic question and another one a movie i'm wondering if you saw the ratio that emily simmons got the assistant press secretary when biden said um when he repeated what was on the uh teleprompter uh i i didn't see like the actual ratio responses of it i uh, what was real interesting about that is again you have a kind of terminally online administration and uh, several people i woke up this morning to several people sending me the cnn story um about and it was emily simons again who popped up saying that this white house is now raided and hired people from i guess the hashtag econ twitter to push back on twitter about economic policy whatever and I, I just said, do I even need to say the line, which is this administration is governed by Twitter. Every every decision they make, every kind of road they go down, uh, they check Twitter is almost like it's, it's factual polling. And so what was interesting is Biden clearly goofed on the teleprompter, um, which is what he does. And when people started noticing it, you had these kind of junior backbenchers all jumping on Twitter to to have a fight with people over this. And, you know, you had Emily Simon say, I was saying boo earns. And it, it, it just, it's so head scratching that they feel the need to all do this. Um, because what, yeah, they, I mean, what, what they eventually do is they take, they take a dumb flub and a dumb gaff that people are going to have fun with for about a day on Twitter. And they turn it into a, they blow it into a big story because she goes, no, no, no. He was saying, let me repeat. And, and if you listen, to right. him, no, he didn't. He didn't say that. You're lying. You're gaslighting us. And then they go and they put it in the official transcript. And so now you've blown this stupid gaff into something that is a bigger story about why are you lying about this? And this is the kind of thing uh, where if it was the previous president, you would have the Washington Post and New York Times all over a press secretary doing this. Now it's, you know, journalists on the right and, you know, blue check shit posters like myself. And it's just head scratching. And then once you realize that the whole reason they do this is because this administration's entire messaging is governed by TikTok and Twitter and what they see and oh, what are the kids talking about? And this is what we need to see what's trending on Twitter. This is where we need to go. And it's mind boggling. And, it, and it's a good explanation for why, this administration's just completely in the toilet because their messaging doesn't resonate with most of the country. Why? Because most of the country isn't on Twitter. They don't care about Twitter. 
I, you know, I would fashion an argument that a good third of my podcast subscribers aren't even on Twitter, even though it's part of what I do and it's part of what I do to follow journalists and follow media and follow the heartbeat of news. Uh, but if I'm running a presidential administration, I, I'm probably telling my employees to stay completely off the fucking thing, completely, because it's ne- it doesn't reflect the reality of what's happening in the country. And now you have them bragging that they just hired a bunch of Twitter economists to mm. explain the economy to people. And you just sit here and you just shake your, I mean, all it does is prove people like me right. But I'm just sitting here like, this. Is, they really don't get it. All Most of the people in this administration are Obama hang-ons, you know, Obama third stringers who have been promoted. And as I've said, this administration thinks that it's the Obama administration, that they think that they can just, you know, get by on sheer force of will of the president's personality. The problem is, is our president is a dementia patient who can barely get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) The problem is he has no personality. Right. He just, he just, he he comes out, reads a teleprompter for 20 minutes a day, and then he goes to his beach house and that's it. Because of things like this, because of, you know, he he came out yesterday and he tried to give this statement about, you know, this executive order to protect Roe and protect abortion. And he couldn't get through a 10 minute statement on the teleprompter where he, he flubs things like we're going to terminate the presidency. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you, you had Kamala thought bubble going on. I'm going to drive you to Indiana. And um, and <laughs> again, he what becomes the story is not his order and not his speech. It becomes the flub it becomes the Ron Burgundy flub because his whole team decides we have to stop. We have to put this out on Twitter right now because it's going to get out of hand. And it's, you don't have to do that. It's PR 101. You let people have their fun. You let it go and it's gone in a day. And instead now they've blown it up and now it's all anyone's talking about. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I've seen a lot of presidencies because of my age and I've always known that they lie, but these lies are ridiculous. And I mean, like, don't they realize that, people hear what he's saying and to come out and say no he said let me repeat that line i i don't i don't understand how they think they're going to get away with it and i didn't realize that it was placed into the official record until i saw your timeline and then it's like this is beyond being online this is now an official record where this man i mean if they're trying to say like well reminds me of the um don't believe your own damn eyes or that line you know well don't believe your own ears i mean come on man we all heard it i i don't understand uh well i guess i do i do understand unfortunately why our media doesn't jump all over this like you said if it was trump my god what fun they would have had with that the man would hold a railing or hold a glass and they would analyze that for two weeks and this guy, yeah, he's he's going to terminate the presidency or this line. Let me repeat the line. Let me uh, repeat that line is just I cannot believe that all of these media outlets are agreeing to just keep repeating, like keep gaslighting us. Like, what is the cause of that is what I'm getting at, I guess. I'm, I'm just really... My mind is boggled. Like, how is it possible that it's not, at this point, just sheer propaganda? And I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I really want to know, how is it that all these people are together and think that this is a good idea to keep gaslighting the American people if they're not all in on it? 
Well, I mean, they're they're protecting the administration. That's the first, Why? That's the first thing. Because, Why? Because they're all progressive. It's their, it's their ideology. Two, if if they don't protect Joe Biden in their in their estimation, then Republicans will get a you know a groundhold, and that will lead to more of Donald Trump. The reason I said during the campaign, the reason why they didn't pressure Biden, the reason why they allowed Biden to just kind of hang out in his, you know, in his house with a teleprompter and a monitor answering pre-screened questions, and the reason why they blocked the New York Post story, among others, and the reason why they didn't report on some of Biden's business dealings and things like that is no journalist wanted to be the journalist that was responsible for the story that leads to four more years of Donald Trump. It really was that simple. Uh, when Trump was elected, you saw this kind of uh, this blame going around the media about spending too much time on Hillary's emails. This started with Ezra Klein, started with uh, Nate Silver. It started with a few others saying, you, you people blew Hillary's emails out of proportion. And now Donald Trump is president because of it. Well, no, Donald Trump was president because the opinion of Hillary Clinton was baked in for 30 years in this country. And I mean, you're talking about someone who never won an election outside of New York. okay? and so the media, for some reason, loves the Clintons. They love them. And I I still to this day don't understand how or why. And so they looked at it and said, we we did too much reporting on Hillary's emails. And that's what led to this. So next time we we need to correct this. And now we're going to become fact checkers for every little thing Trump does or whatever. So 2020 rolls around, and the reason why there was no scrutiny on anything Biden was doing, he ne- he was never forced to answer if he would get rid of the filibuster or pack the Supreme Court. He just thought, I'm not going to answer that. And they went, okay. <laughs> and so no journalist wanted to be the one, or no, no outlet, the New York Times or the Washington Post or anyone wanted to be the outlet that ran the story that damaged Biden enough that led to Trump winning another election. Because they knew if they did, they would become a pariah in their industry. They would, they would, they wouldn't get book deals. They would not be on television. They wouldn't get media hits. Um, they would, if you want to get down to, it, they wouldn't be invited to happy hours. Um, they wouldn't, you know, invited to parties. They would be a pariah in their own newsroom, and they didn't want that. And that was the that was the primary reason to the to blocking and standing by the censoring of the New York Post story. And so that's largely w- still the point of where they're operating from today, which is if you if you report on how badly this administration is going, I think it was Joe Simonson from Free Beacon noted that Joe Biden's approvals are historically low. He's he's historically unpopular, even more so than Donald Trump was at this point in his presidency. And Donald mm. Trump had a media that was hammering him every single day. Joe Biden is a media that's friendly and Biden is still below those in approvals. And this is such like a non-story. And so their attitude is to just ignore this going on, uh, report when good news happens. So when the jobs report comes out, boy, they all jumped on that and hope that, you know, somehow that this leads to not four more years of Trump, which it still could. The fact that you're not reporting news is one of those things where people turn inevitably turn to someone like Donald Trump again. Yes. So that, that's I mean, for me, at least that's the best explanation I can give you. Oh, I appreciate that. But there's got to be some point where they say, that's it. We've we've got to stop this. And they're going to start supporting someone else, I'm assuming. I mean, midterms are almost here. People are going to have to start announcing whether they're going to be running for president or not. They're going to have to let him fall by the wayside eventually. This guy is just 
he's so incompetent. I mean, the whole administration is really. I don't, I don't see Kamala Harris being a nominee by the DNC at this point. Maybe butt gig or however you say his damn name, Buttigieg. Buttigieg. Judge. Buddha Judge. Yeah. Um, I I have to I have to think that at some point to just going to say, look, we we have to stop this. You know. Poor Joe, whatever they're going to do. I, they can't keep making excuses for him. And I love how you're always pointing out how all we do is fail Joe. You know, that's all we can do is fail Joe. It's never his fault. It's our fault. And that's got to, at some point, it's it's beating a dead horse. Um, so, uh, and your thoughts on that? Do you think at some point they're just going to stop supporting him altogether? Uh. I mean, it depends. I mean, I talked about this, and, and thanks, Don. I'm going to move on to Joseph, just so you can keep going. Oh, wait, so. quick, quick movie question. Sure. Uh, Prime today uh, had the Joker out, and I was just wondering if you were, if you think that there will be a Batman with Joaquin Phoenix as a Joker or another Joker movie. Uh, they they are planning a sequel to Joker as a musical that I don't think has any plans for Batman in it. They're planning they're planning a sequel of Joaquin Phoenix and the rumor is Lady Gaga will play Harley Quinn and they're going to do it as a musical slash love story. So they're, oh, they're they're going really kooky off the deep end with it, which is appealing to me. I like it when it's I like that Joker was treated as its own kind of graphic novel. Yeah. Um and um, so I'm open to that idea. I'm open to seeing how kooky they can go with it and just do like this one spinoff. Um, I said at the end of Joker, where it's just mass riots and chaos in the streets, mm-hmm. that I said that I would like to see a Batman in that universe. Like, I know you get Batman fighting costume guys and villains and things like that. Um, and the latest Batman kind of touches on it, but I, I, that was the most pointless Batman film that they've made that I'd love to see Batman have to figure out how the fuck do I just step in the middle and stop a riot like that? Like, how would I do that? And I love the seediness of kind of the eighties Gotham city and everything. Like I love the atmosphere of Joker. Um, And I just thought about it. I was like, I'd love to see a Batman in this universe. And so the one that I proposed that Hollywood really should listen to me on these ideas, by the way, is (laughs) I said, I'd I'd like to see a sequel to Joker as a one-off uh, with John Hamm as Batman and done oh. as the kill and done as the Killing Joke, which if you don't know what the Killing Joke is, it's, it was a one-off graphic novel, uh, which is about the origin of the Joker, and it's he proves the point that he used to just be a normal guy, and, and Joker kind of goes into this a little bit, but he used to just be a normal guy who was just struggling. Uh, he had and the Dark Knight takes some of the Killing Joke also. Uh, he owed money to some bookies and some land sharks and the mob. and But he just had a wife who's going to have a baby. And then um, she kills herself. And so he kind of goes cuckoo crazy. And his whole idea, so he kidnaps Commissioner Gordon. It's, it's, the, it's the issue where he paralyzes Barbara Gordon. Um, and then he takes photos of her and then he kidnaps Commissioner Gordon. He tries to drive Commissioner Gordon crazy just to prove that anybody who has one bad day can, can end up like him. Mm. And it's, it's my singular favorite one-off issue of a bat of a Batman. My favorite series is the cult, which I'd also love to see the cult done as a, as a film, but that would, that was, that would be my idea. Do a one-off of the killing joke. You just do one, one 
one film of one Batman. You don't have to make five trilogies or anything like that. And I'd like to see I'd like to see someone like John Hamm, who's older and a little bit more disgruntled and whatever. But uh, so they are. But yes, they are planning a sequel to uh, to, to Joker. And it's supposed to be just going to be like a dark, crazy musical love story. I wouldn't mind seeing him do some more dancing down the stairs, you know, or dancing through the hallway. He's he's fantastic. I I just think that he's probably the best actor of our age next to Denzel Washington and I'd love to see him again. Uh I think the I think Joker is just uh wow. <laughs> I, I saw it in the theater when it came out and I haven't seen it since and I just watched it this morning. And it it's I don't think I got it all when that's, I was in the theater. A, yeah, that's that's a good one to start your weekend off on. That'll put you yeah. in a good mental state, you know. <laughs> yeah. so. All right, have all a right. great day. Bye bye. Thank, thank thank, you. Thank, thanks, Donna. Joseph, you're up. We'll probably keep going until uh, we'll probably just go Andrew, Chuck, Mike, if anyone else wants to jump up there. Uh, but we can keep this short, too. So, Joseph, what happened this week that caught your eye? Um, I, I'm half distracted because I still have Frank Luntz up my ass right now. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I was uh, looking at that uh, a couple minutes ago. Yeah, they're ago. trying to write this. They're trying to write off this fact check as, no, he's saying it's not a fact. We put it in scare quotes. And all I simply did was post this line because he has it in quotes in one usage and he doesn't have it in quotes in the other. And the point of me doing that is to say, which is it? Are you using scare quotes or are you not? Uh, this guy named Eric Newberry sums it up pretty good. He said, the point is he's bending over 720 degrees to avoid calling an obviously fake story and misinformation pushed by media and Dems. Instead, he ends it off saying, hey, it might end up being true. We'll have to see. For now, it's going to be treated as true. And that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, like I said, they're, he's out here saying, Meh, the story might be true, it might not be, but until then, hey, it's out there and it's popular, and I guess we'll just have to wait to see if someone's arrested. And that's not what a fact check is. A fact check is, okay, let's go through here. Let's find the steps of the story. And he does some of that in here. But he also neglects to mention that Snopes, uh, Caitlin Bernard, turned down a Snopes interview. She wouldn't be interviewed by Snopes, which is a fucking Democrat fact-friendly outlet, okay? Snopes is not going to toss you hardball questions about this story. And they didn't, and they also didn't contact her directly, and they also didn't report on this woman has been an abortion activist for the majority of her adult life. So they leave her entire background out of it to show that she's just some OBGYN who had a patient. Well, none of that is fucking true. Um, and that's why I, I recommend uh, a woman who did original fact check on this. I read this mostly on my podcast. Her name's Megan Fox Writer at Megan Fox Rider, and she breaks this whole thing down. She breaks down how it's spread. She breaks down why this is probably untrue, because no arrest has been made. There was no crime reported. And if she treated a, an abortion patient, a 10-year-old abortion patient, without reporting this to the police, she broke the law. She could lose her medical license. And that is all just not mentioned at all in Glenn Kessler's fact check. Uh, the Washington Post fact checker is just like fucking Pez for, for their audience. They just skim over say, well, here's, they leave out information that's inconvenient to them. And that was the point of what I was getting at is you, you clearly don't understand what quotation works. I mean, no, you clearly don't because he only uses them in one instance and then doesn't use them in another instance. So which is it? Um, it's just, it's cowardice and it, and it drives me crazy. Uh, some of these times and especially, you know, brain dead, you know, White House obsessives like fucking Frank Lutz who jump all over this. So uh, sorry, Joseph, I just took some of your thunder. Sorry. 
No, no, it's fine. And I'll, and I'll make this one last comment before I move on. Uh, I, it's just it's just a shame that like Frank has become this because like I, I followed him for a brief time because he was like one of those like reasonable like one of the last reasonable voices for the GOP and also like a well known strategist. And the fact that he's just busy playing these like stupid semantic games on Twitter is just disgraceful. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I don't know what to say, and it, that's what, what's interesting about, and I guess to answer Donna's other question about, you know, I talked about this in the podcast about this, this dearth of stories coming out about how there's no urgency with Biden on Roe v. Wade. And as I said, I said this several times that the media will not hold Biden accountable uh, as an, as an, as an entity, as an institution, they will hold him accountable if he ever starts to waver from the progressive left. So they'll hold him accountable on climate. You know, they'll say, you're not doing enough for climate change, sir. And that's what they're doing here with abortion. And people thought it was Ron Klain that was dropping all these stories. And I said, I don't think so. When when you have all these stories come out and then the communications director says, I'm out, see ya, that's probably who's dropping these stories. And you're probably going to see more of them. We just got another one from the Washington Post about the problems of the border. Uh, Biden Biden's in a jam with the problems at the border. And as I said, there's a whole genre in our media of things happening to Joe Biden. These, these things are just happening to him. We, he, you know, he's he's just in a rut. He's in a jam. He can't get out of it. And bad things just keep happening to him. And they and they refuse to absolutely consider the fact that these bad things are happening because of him. That, that is just not something they will even consider to write about. Uh, they might eventually after midterms when these screams get a little bit louder. Um, but they look at people like Frank Lutz now. They they kind of look at the people where, because of Donald Trump and they, he didn't like Donald Trump or whatever. Um, where if you hold any kind of view on the conservative right or even you know the populist right or whatever, then uh, you're you're a Trump supporter. And that's not the case with a lot of people. I'm one of them. Um, but they don't. Their brains are kind of not wired to handle that kind of nuance. And that's pretty much what it is. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I guess to kind of maybe ask like a lighter question, uh, what are your thoughts on like this recent season of The Boys? Because I don't think I've heard you mention it that much. Just curious if you've gotten like a chance to watch it yet or if you caught up. I, those- I am about halfway through it. I'm struggling with it, and I shouldn't be because I'm enjoying it. I just haven't had a lot of time to just actually sit down. Yeah. Um, God, how far am I through? I just got through the part where – um, Homelander releases the hashtag for him and Starlight are a couple. And uh, I got through, I think, one episode past that. And I think I passed out. I was tired when I was watching one, um, which is interesting because I like the show. Like, I love the show. And, I, and for some reason, it's not connecting with me other than Anthony Starr playing Homelander. He, he has taken that role to just a completely new level to, to just like – the point where I'm questioning if Anthony Starr himself is just a narcissistic sociopath because it doesn't feel like acting. Um, he is just completely owning that series and, and with that role. And what was interesting is I saw some people touch on this on Twitter about I have no interest in seeing the new Thor movie. I'm people already know I'm lukewarm on Marvel films as it is. Um, yes, and the the last Thor movie was like a He-Man movie to me. Like, it was just like, this is He-Man. Like, it's not like Thor. It's just He-Man and his funny friends. And this new one looks to be more of that. Christian Bale looks interesting, but I'm not going to drag my butt to the theater just to see 
Christian Bale. Um, but somebody, a few people noted that, like, what the boys is doing kind of renders Marvel now childish. Like, Marvel to me has always been, you know, adult men smacking their action figures together. And, you know, it's all just CGI laden and there's no real consequences for anything that happens in the Marvel Universe. Um, everyone comes back eventually or, you know, Thor's eye gets replaced and now he's fine. And, and like, there's just no drama. It's it's just you can do whatever you want. It's a kid playing with his toys over and over again. And yeah. so, someone noted that, like, what the boys is doing could be the thing that renders Marvel irrelevant. It's kind of like, you know, it, it's kind of like how, um, like, heavy metal just kind of rendered disco irrelevant, you know, like this dark, loud music. And so just how unabashedly adult the boys is with just the violence, the content, the sexual content and that stuff where it just pulls no punches simply shows how Marvel does pull its punches. And uh, the, it was a great thing. And I wish someone might write more on it. Um, I don't know, maybe it'll be me, but I have, I have no intention of seeing Thor because that's what it looks like to me. It just looks like now an adult cartoon and there's just more of that with Marvel, but no, I, I'm, I'm trying to get through the boys and I know that I shouldn't be struggling with it. I just maybe haven't had time to, to do it, but um, Tony Starr is just incredible in that role. Like he deserves awards for that role because he just, you fucking hate him so much, but you also, you, you, you don't root for Homelander, but you're just kind of like, you see how much he's just enjoying himself and it's like, it doesn't make him completely hateable. You have to admire that character a little bit. Um, just when he realizes like, I'm, I'm not your product. Like it doesn't matter if you created me in a lab, I can now like wipe all of you out if I want to. And yeah. it's that unhinged, just narcissism. And you can just see like Tony stars just eating it up. He's enjoying it so much. And he, he really has, taken that he's just taken the shackles off that character just the writing has let him do it they're like homelander's just gonna go just completely unshackled this season and yeah. so um i don't know i haven't gotten I've, I've i've followed some of it on twitter and stuff like that so i haven't gotten to like soldier boy and i haven't gotten to the fight i know those things are coming um but uh so don't spoil it but yeah i'm i'm, I'm eventually gonna get through it yeah uh, i just got i just got done with it like yesterday or so, and I I think the I think the overall series like season is like definitely strong, but I, I don't know I kind of feel like I'm wanting more, um from this like last finale and I'm like wanting more from this season. I know that they're gonna yeah, say there's, there's, yeah, there's stuff that's Carl Urban is really hard for me on that show, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the the heavy accent, if it's just I don't like him as a character. I don't know if I like like. I think in the boys in the comic book, they're not all like buff, good looking dudes. Like they're all kind of schlubby. And that was the whole point is you had these kind of, yeah. you know, schlubby losers taking on this corporation that produces superheroes and the heroes are, you know, they appear good, but they're actually all fucking really evil people behind the scenes. Yeah. And so with the series, they're not like, like Carl Urban is like this great looking Magnum PI dude with a beard and the dyed hair. And he's got the Judd Nelson coat from breakfast club. And yeah. that's, I don't think, I think that's kind of part of why I struggle with that aspect of the show. Um, I thought it was so good. Like in the first seasons when they were lampooning what superheroes were, you know, where they show you, you know, how good they are and they're whatever. And then it takes you into the boardroom and they're just like, fuck this shit. And they're all just degenerates. 
And I, I wish that the show would almost just stay on that completely, just stay on just how vapid and evil these people are. But into the public, you know, they're, they, they sell soda and, they, and they're in movies and they're in stars uh, because it's such a novel concept and how they make fun of what Marvel and DC is. And um, there's just no morals to any of them. And so I really struggle with the actual team part of it. I like Huey. I think he's great. That actor's great. Um, yeah. But they're all kind of these buff, good-looking dudes, and I, I really struggle with that aspect of the show. I wish they were all like, just again, schlubby losers, because that just adds more to the show. Like, how how is this team of dorks and losers going to take on Homelander? Yeah, that aspect I can kind of understand too, and to sort of bring back the sort of back critique of, like, say, Marvel, and to maybe some extent DC, even though Marvel is obviously like more popular than DC. It seems like they're kind of leaning more uh, lampooning, more just kind of social commentary, like on politics. Like they're now kind of shifting from not just making fun of like MAGA and like the alt right. They're also more or less making fun of like well capitalism, which is something that I kind of enjoy. Anyway, that's all I have for you today. Yeah, cool, Joseph. Go enjoy your weekend. Damn it, we'll get out all of right. here. <laughs> Uh, just going right on. Andrew. Uh, hey, I'm Steven. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, it's brunch, so, you know? Um, uh, again, I'm just, I was just surprised at just how badly NPR and the, the AP responded to Shinzo Abe being killed or assassinated. You know, I was, because it's like, it, it just felt like you, at least... It's like no one in the entire political world even dislikes him. Not anyone on the Democratic side or the Republican side disliked him. And it's sort of like, why is why is it that they were so are so dismissive of him when he seems to have been such a universally in the Americas beloved figure? I mean, China hates him, but fuck them. Yeah, it's you're right when you say there wasn't even like a controversy with this guy. Um, there, there wasn't a. a there wasn't a, this huge, like he was a polarizing figure, who, you know, whatever he, he's pretty well respected all over the world. And especially in, you know, the Western world and Western democracies. Um, and so, yeah, when, when you get this reaction where NPR calls him an, an arch conservative and people just go, wait, what? And it wasn't because they were getting ratioed on Twitter. It's because probably someone in their own industry went, this is inaccurate. You need to change this. So then they come back with ultra nationalist and the, I like what Dan Foster said, where he said, the reason why they're doing this is to basically tell their audience, it's okay to not feel that bad over this. And that's exactly right. That's exactly what it was for. So they immediately went kind of looking for a, a negative connotation and people have asked me, why do they do that? And I said, well, one, it's just because of who they are. And two, it's he took a photo with Trump once, you know, or or there's the photo of him playing golf with Trump. And therefore, you know, I guess Shinzo Abe didn't have too many remarks on what happened on January 6th. So we're going to you know, he must be a corrupt autocrat who also agreed with Donald Trump. And that to me is the basic very thinking of the NPR intern team um, behind that is where it's it's so outlandish to the point of being inaccurate and they still don't care. It's, it's, they're in their city, they're in their newsroom, they have their narrative, they're sticking to it. And when you use the word ultra nationalist, 
what you're doing there is where, we, I mean, and I'll just, I'll throw this to you, Andrew. Where have we heard the word ultra being thrown around as of late? Ultra MAGA. There you go. Isn't that like their fourth? It's not, it's not like, an accident they, have, like, they did that. Don't they have okay. Mega MAGA coming up next or what? Yeah. I, like- I, uh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, and if I said that to anyone in this room, if I went up and said, ultra, where are you hearing this word around lately? They would go, uh, they would just say, oh, it's ultra MAGA. That's what Trump is. And so the idea that NPR could not find another way to describe Shinzo Abe, they did it on purpose. And so then you'd have to question, why would they do it on purpose? And the only conclusion I can come to is because they think that because he was a friend of Trump or because Trump's statement came out and praising him, um, and, and I don't know, Abe never condemned January 6th or, or whatever, whatever their fucking pet hobby horse is at the time, that that's how they frame it. And it's because that the, the 22-year-old intern running the social media account uh, just has no other worldview. They, they have a blinders on. They don't understand anything to do with geopolitics. I don't understand how Japanese politics works. I don't understand how Japanese politics works, but that's why I'm not fucking writing about it. Um, but they just, they don't care. They're, they saw a photo of Abe on the golf course smiling with Trump. He's bad. That's it. That's literally, to me, their thinking. And the fact that they left that up, and it was also AP went with this, um, just says to me they don't care. They don't care that their description of him is wrong and that they narrow this down to – they narrow this guy's influence and career down to being an ultra-nationalist. Uh, it's, it's, it's a travesty and it's malfeasance. And like I said, I think I was the first guy out of the gate about a year ago, and I will keep re-upping the piece that says, yes, you need to defund NPR of all public – tax money, period. I don't care if it's 2%. I don't care if it's 1%. No more funds for these people, period. Uh, NPR used to be a left-leaning outlet, which people could enjoy. You could listen to it and you would still get some news. And now if you turn, I guarantee that if I turned on NPR right now, all I'm going to be hearing is Greta Thunberg or George Floyd. And that's it. And um, again, I have no problem with NPR existing in the world as a left-wing outlet, but uh, I don't think we should be paying for that any longer. I completely agree. Really, from what you can see, it's not much of the budget, but it's just like every time we our tax dollar, every tax, tax dollar of mine that goes to it is just an insult to me. That's why it needs to be um, removed. But uh, I'm also going to sort of disagree with you on why Marvel seems to be losing itself. It's pretty s- simple. Uh, Cap and Iron Man are dead. Who cares about the rest of the, the Avengers when they're Jesus, dead? Jesus, man. Spoilers. No, I'm joking. It's been two and a half years. If you haven't figured that out, you you should be. Uh, but you, you know. But here's the deal: you know they're going to bring Iron Man back. That's the whole point I was making. Is you're going? To, they're going to do it in like their next Phase Four villain movie. Robert Downey Jr. will appear in a hologram form, or because they opened up the multiverse, which is the whole point of why they did that. Was now you can have Tom Cruise come in as Iron Man, which they were planning on doing years and years ago. Um, you can bring you can bring in anybody now, and that's kind of the point of why just there's no consequences to anything. I, I'd say you're right. I think you're right on a different level, which is they're just they've run out of the A-list heroes. I mean, um, Cap and Iron Man are gone, and it's sort of like their story's wrapped up. And he, they, I think they um they could have survived in some way more, but it's like they not only did their most important characters die, but they just put out a, a as a fan of Marvel stuff. They put out bad pro- Marvel stuff product for the past year. 
if you understand what I'm coming Yeah, from. like a lot of the series, like, um, and they're trying to bridge time between their movies with series, and a lot of it feels rushed. Like, I didn't watch, I don't think I watched any of the Marvel series. I didn't watch WandaVision. Uh, I didn't watch Captain America. I, don't, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't have Disney I, Plus anyway. I gave, I gave some of them some watch, but lots of, not just me, but lots of, you know, big Marvel fans, people who you can like, like the whole smashing things, the toys together. They're just, they're not smashing the toys together in ways we like. And there's lots of times they're basically just saying, Hey, you know, those toys you like, well, they're stupid. Now we're going to replace it with these new toys that are, um, that are more politically correct. And it's sort of like, yeah. So they're doing, they're replacing what they replaced uh, the black widow. They've replaced all these other characters that were beloved. And it's like no one really cares about these new characters because they haven't had the years and years of buildup. Right. And I think that's yeah. one of the big problems is that they're losing those cast and those characters. So and they so I know that they have the new Captain America. They have the guy who was Falcon. Right. Um, and I forget his what's his, that actor's name? Anthony something. I forget his name. But um, what Anthony Mackie, I think. Anthony Mackie. So they are. They just signed a director for Captain America four first. So they're going to do him. They're going to do a film with him. The other part of that is his costume is just hilariously ridiculous. Like you did, like it, you, it was you could make, you could really too. make him look cool. And like and the goggles and the, I'm just, no. Um, and so what I'm actually hoping for is they start to get a little bit more creative. So I don't know how much of a fan you are of like Captain America, but have you read the truth series that came out a few years ago? I Which, have not. I um, so what, it was going to come out. You know, I, maybe I'll check it out sometime. So yeah. So it was basically, it's it's one of my favorite series because I like the social commentary it has in it, and it doesn't beat you over the head with it. So basically, what Truth is about, it's a four part mini series that's basically about the first Captain America was black, and it goes into World War II about how the U.S. Army tested vaccines and you know, antibodies and stuff on black soldiers before they tested them on white soldiers, which actually happened. So they take that and they, they take like a small platoon of black soldiers, almost like the Tuskegee Airmen. And they're all friends, whatever. And though, so they start testing on them and they become super soldiers. And one of them uh, ultimately becomes cap becomes Captain America. He has to go back be behind enemy lines to uh, rescue them and stuff. And so he's in kind of the uniform, but he's wearing like a headband and a, and a green helmet. And I thought about that. I'm like, that would be fucking great to see. I'd love to see that on the big screen, just that series, because you're, it's not hitting you over the head with social justice. It's, hit, it's giving you actual history that's working in the super serum. And it's great because it, like, it starts in modern day where he's sitting at the table talking to the guy who was the original Captain America. And uh, I always said, like, I'd love to see that done, like, by Spike Lee. I, I'd, I'd be curious as hell to see a Spike Lee do a superhero Marvel movie, like Kenneth Branagh did the original Thor, for example. And, um, and, and the, But the problem, that Marvel, the problem that Marvel does is they hire, they didn't do this with uh, Taiki or whatever. They kind of let him just take Thor in any direction that he wanted. And they kind of let James Gunn take Guardians of the Galaxy in the direction they wanted. But on a lot of these generic properties, they don't let directors take a risk because they don't want to screw up the property of Captain America. They don't want to screw up the property of Hulk or any of these things. And so what you get is, again, kind of CGI boring generic filmmaking. And so there's there are creative ways they could do, you know, because I know Lady Thor is a, is a thing in the comics now. 
and I think you're right. A lot of, a lot of this cast now is just, they're phasing out. Like they're not going to do films, but the thing is they're going to come back. They're going to come back in cameos. They're going to come back in films. Robert Downey Jr. will be back in three years when Disney throws, you know, $200 million at him to come back and play Iron Man in a hologram role or some shit. So that's my other problem with Marvel. There's just no consequences. The character will die and that character will come back. And that's kind of what they're doing. Well, I, I'm just, I'm not just not sure that Robert Downey Jr. wants to come back. And that's the one question is he'll, how many he'll, people he'll come back to- for $200 million. <laughs> They will. I'm just not sure Disney has that money with how much debt it took on from the Fox acquisition. That's always been um, one of the things you have to understand about Disney at this moment and why they seem so desperate is because when they acquired Fox and, you know, the Simpsons and all that stuff, they took on way too much debt for what they were doing. And they took it on right before the uh, before the COVID pandemic, when basically the only thing that kept them from going into bankruptcy was Ron DeSantis opening up Disney World. Had that not happened, the, the company probably would have gone into bankruptcy, and you, um, who knows what could have happened from that point on. But um, f- what happened was was that Fox was probably worth maybe $40 billion. Somehow Disney spent $80 billion on them because that was the previous um, idea of uh, Robert Iger, who basically, oh, I just need to buy as many a- properties as possible, and Fox has a lot of properties. So because of that, it's... Disney is way overladen with debt. It caused the 50th, from what I understand, the 50th anniversary of Disney World to be a complete disappointment because they basically opened up no new rides. That's the thing that's so important is that Disney is, is very powerful, but its power is very brittle, at least from my understanding. So, so what you're saying is, is we, we should take them now while they're at their weakest. Uh, Gen- I, General, General Lissimo DeSanta should take his army and, and get rid of them now while they're at their weakest. Well, you never know. The pressure is what's happening, but it's sort of. A, but yes, it's, it does feel like they, they are, have more cultural power than they do actual money at this moment. Interesting. I, I didn't know so, any of that stuff about Disney. So, so yeah. Um, basically, the idea was um, Robert Iger replaced Michael Eisner. You've 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 heard that. Heard I know. Yeah. Die. You know the whole Michael Eisner was the devil thing. Yeah. I think he's actually fairly underrated as a as a creative mind, but we'll, we'll ignore that. And basically what happened was Robert Iger came in and fixed, saved Disney by rebringing in Pixar by buying Pixar. And then he said, Oh, I can just buy other companies like Marvel, like Lucasfilm, and then like Fox. And that was a, um, a philosophy that ultimately brought them to this brittle state. And that's something you have to under and on a reliance of div of China, because remember when it was, um, under Eisner, there wasn't as much infamous on China. They made one stab with the original Mulan movie, but other than that, they weren't really that interested. So that's the thing, is that um, it was this sort of... Robert Iger made uh, Disney an apex predator in the pre-COVID, but post-Obama uh, era of entertainment. And But the thing is, when a massive changes come to environments, apex predators tend to be the thing that die. So... That's how I think you should um, a way you can look at Disney in a different way if you want in the future. You should you should write more on this stuff, Andrew. You have a lot of like inside knowledge on all this works. Uh, that's what happens when you're a nerd who gets um, who gets butt hurt about your um, your favorite company's turning. Yeah. On. So. <laughs> you're ruining you're ruining my childhood. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a little bit more. Again, you got to get work at the, high, the your voice being a higher pitch. You can sound into mine. Yeah. So so real fast. Because uh, we all we all want to get on with our weekend. 
Yeah. How would you how would you fix Marvel? I mean, it, let's let's agree. Let's agree. You're on my side where I'm just like, I'm just not interested in it. Like I I went and I saw Doctor Strange because I had an afternoon and I thought Sam Raimi. OK. And I could I just was bored halfway through. I like the I like the ending where it's like zombie strange is fighting. I thought that was really fucking kind of weird. And that's what Marvel just doesn't do. It doesn't get weird. But the whole thing, I'm just, I'm watching this and I'm like, I feel like I'm watching a CGI cartoon where you have an actor, they look like the Star Wars prequels where you know what you're seeing isn't real. You know this this is an actor surrounded by LED screens and everything just looks too sharp. It looks too crisp. And they put a soft glow on everything. And I don't even care about the woke, woke bullshit of the multiverse girl or whatever. Yeah. But I was just kind of like, I was looking at this and I'm like, okay, you brought in Sam Raimi and there's a couple Sam Raimi moments in there, but you're still constrained by what Marvel is, which is basically the same movie over and over and over and over and over again. Like if you go through every villain of Marvel uh, for all the particular heroes, it's, it's like a mirror image of them. And then that's why their sequels always struggle because they don't know how to come in and do a proper villain uh, who isn't related to the hero or doesn't know whatever. And, so I, I just, I look at it, I'm like, okay, Avengers Endgame, that's a good movie, like whatever, uh, big spectacle, those were fun. Um, but now I'm just, I, I'm just like, I don't go to these, I don't go see a lot of these films in the theater. I'm exhausted on them. Like, yeah, I can so, understand. so how, so how would you, how would you fix it? Would you tell weirder stories kind of like what DC does? Um, would you, would you bring in new cast? Would you bring in different heroes? What would you do? Give me like your give me like your one minute pitch to fix Marvel. One, three years without a Marvel movie or a Star Wars. You're fucking hired. I'll let take that. People push it to five. Let people rest on things. You can't overwhelm them. It's what happened to Call of Duty and why Call of Duty doesn't matter anymore. You got to let people rest and get and be, build anticipation for the next thing. You've you completed everything. Let everything rest. Then, well, you've already spent the money. Go do a Fantastic Four movie. You got it? And do do an X-Men movie. Do an X-Men movie that's fairly, um, that more or less says... So, so, so we agree that John Krasinski is Reed Richards. So you agree that Emily Blunt would probably be the invisible Sue Richards. Um, you agree that the Rock, what's his name, Thing would be CGI. Thing. So, But how do you do, so then what, Doctor Doom is your next phase villain? This is kind of where I'm at. You did good setting up Thanos as your as your first phase big baddie. Right now, it's kind of like they don't know who that. Even though I'm sure they have a plan laid out, but it feels like you're now four, three, four years in, and you don't have a next big baddie. Even if, maybe it's the Scarlet Witch, maybe it's well, Doctor Doom. Dead, but we'll, we'll move on from that. No, she's not. She'll come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they don't bring back villains usually, which is actually kind of besides the, the Red Skull and a, a thing that didn't matter. But we'll ignore that. I do Doctor Doom. But I'd also, um, but the X Men are actually more interesting because I bring bring back um, the, I do five new people to play Cyclops, Wolverine, and I'd like your idea of Seth Rogen, Storm. No, actually, I bring I do Storm. I, no, I think I, I think I said uh, Jonah Hill for Wolverine because I like I like a schlubby Wolverine who's yeah. I, that's, that's what I meant. Some schlubby fat guy, and I'm not even saying. But that's what? but that's the problem with the X Men. They're they're gonna just make it Wolverine again. 
it, like that was the biggest problem is it's like they Wolverine's just the coolest character. So everything's going to revolve around him. And that's how those movies got boring. Yeah. And other so, than Logan, and, like uh, Logan's again, standalone just, film was awesome, but like, yeah. well, the Wolverine need, movie itself was the last one was great. Old man, Logan. Yeah. Logan was great because, but that's also because you brought in James Mangold who said, I'm going to make this like Shane, I'm going to make this like, you know, a Western. And, and I love the that, reference. And I really loved how in the reference, they actually did a movie for Shane, but it wasn't a movie that the company owned. It's like the director actually yeah. got to say no we're yeah, doing exactly. Shane because that's the one that actually yep, matters. Exactly. And then and obviously Hugh Jackman said, Yep, yeah, let's let's fuck me up and make me look like, you know, Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven and yeah, it was it was great. I thought Logan probably should have been nominated for Best Picture. Um, um I don't like a lot where the plot goes, like, you know, fighting the, younger him and stuff, but that's all stuff I could get over. So yeah, I'm curious to see what they do with X Men too. I, I was one of the kids that grew up on the cartoon with the X Men and I grew up yeah, I grew up with the comics and um so I was really into X Men. My problem is they're just gonna make like Wolverine the center character again. And that's what that they think that that's what everyone cares about. And like I I think that's why you should go you don't cast Egerton or that's the one that's being talked about now, the the guy from the Kingsman or whatever. Um, you go and you cast someone who's just who's just a little bit off for Wolverine. Like I said, someone like Jonah Hill, or you know, someone who's so, just so, someone who's got a beer gut, and you could yeah, like someone who's not, yeah, a little chubby, a little out of shape, um, a little back. gruff, who's not invincible, you know. Yeah. Um, and but he is invincible. That's the thing, right. So but that's what I mean. But that's that would make it more interesting. Like you have a guy who you know maybe when he's swinging his claws, he gets a little out of breath, you know. And, and the thing is, you have Cyclops to be the the standard normal good looking guy, and that and that and having him play that and having the new guy be Wolverine be this schlubby guy, but who's also like this would actually had a good character dynamic instead of just, them just being the same person as they were in the first movies, basically. And I think what you need to do is, and then do it like uh, just my suggestion would be have um, it be a suggestion about talking about. Uh, about heroes, and if you're going to do, and just have this new X-Men team together and base it off that, and then you can, because those are the two big properties that you really haven't exploited yet, and doing that would at least give you time to let, continue to let those things get fallow, and then basically just, and in five years or, or so, just have a new Captain America and a new Iron Man and a new person, and not just rely and say, we're just going to tell these new stories. With so these just things. reboot them? Just reboot them completely? Yeah, because... You just say that the original MCU finished up in Endgame and say, all that other stuff didn't happen. We don't care about it. Because, hey, look what they did to Spider-Man three times. That worked out eventually. Yeah, I I did watch. uh, I I didn't go to see it in the theater. I did watch No Way Home. And, again, I was just like, this is all just CGI. I liked how they brought back. You know, they brought back some of the original castings in the villains and things like that. And I would um, give it to them that they did not get rid of the um, the Liberty, um, the Statue of Liberty when China demanded it. Right. Would, yes. Yeah. No. This this is a, this is a thing. Disney has been on kind of a streak of telling China to go pound sand with some of their changes, and this is just kind of something new. And we saw this now with Maverick. I think Sonny Bunch wrote about this, where you're starting to see Hollywood push back against China's creative liberties. Um, I said this about Maverick. I, I wasn't going to go see it over the over the Taiwan patch. And people who I know are friends are like, really? You're not going to go see this film over a patch on a jacket? I'm like, yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm not going to go give my money to this. 
And so, yeah, I'm watching the trailers and it looks fucking great. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to sit this, I'm gonna sit this one out. And then I, the report when the movie came out was that because one of the financers, the Tencent Media, fell through and China was still making demands, they just said, no, we're not doing that. And then they put the Taiwan patch back on Maverick's jacket and all is, and all is well. And, um, yeah, and so that, you're, you're right about how they're starting to, their, to push back. Their balls back a little bit. And I'm glad that it's happening. I just hope it continues and that they, the green doesn't overpower them. I'll make one last comment because other people have their things. But I, while I loved Maverick, that last mission is totally just the, the trench run of Star Wars. I'm it sorry. Was. No, really. I said that. Same. Like, I even said that. I'm like, they're just, they're doing the, they're doing the Star Wars run. Like, everything about it. Like, they're going through the can- the canyon. They, they have the missile guns. And they have to hit, they, they have, they have to hit the womp rat hole. Uh, they have to hit the the tiny little hole. And sorry, sorry for doing spoilers here, guys. But um, everyone and their mom under the sun has seen this already. But yeah, and the other thing about it, like I, I walked out, I'm blown away by it. Look, that was they don't fucking make movies like this anymore. Um, but I'm kind of like, they would have just sent a drone. <laughs> yeah, but 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 let's be honest. And the other thing it pretty proved to me is, yeah, no matter what, the original Star Wars movies are still good. So I'll let you get to other people, and you have, and because, and I will say that because because of just how influential they still, you still see people just you can't escape those sort of classic storytelling things that came from those movies. And yeah, while I understand the whole problem of you know oh it's just repeating the same thing over and over again, there's really good solid storytelling in those original three. And I will let you get to everyone else because I've talked way too much. My voice can be great. Right. So bye, bye. Andrew. <laughs> That's ah, good chat. Whatever. Uh, thanks everyone for your patience for uh, just kind of going through these. It's weekend, so I'm just going to kind of let people go. We'll go uh, Chuck, Mike, and Connor, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, Chuck, any thoughts on what you saw this week in media, news stories that I mentioned, or uh, like I said, it's a weekend, anything else that's on your mind? And welcome. I think Chuck's a newbie. Uh, down at the bottom of your phone, Chuck, uh, you'll see the microphone icon. Just hit that to unmute um, if you're having trouble with that one. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Chuck a little bit longer because I felt bad for cutting off Ivan last episode. I'm gonna I'm scrolling down at some of you people. I see some of my regular dregs down there. All right, I'm gonna go to. We're gonna jump to Mike. Chuck, if you can hear me, uh, if you jump up in the next few minutes, I'll still take you at the end here. Mike, what's on your mind? Hey, Stephen. Um, so a busy news week, but a very busy Hunter Biden news week. All of the Hunter Biden stories are still always from either Free Beacon, New York Post, or Daily Mail. But what, what's Hunter got to do before any of the mainstream pick up any of his uh, exploits? Uh, it's going to be thrust upon them when the GOP takes the House and starts opening an investigation probably next year. That's what that's what's going to happen, which they said they're going to do. And that will most likely also lead to an impeachment vote of Joe Biden in the House. Mitch McConnell says he has no interest in doing it. Um, he has no interest in doing it in the Senate. So I don't think it, it, Biden's going to be impeached and removed. Um, but I'm kind of in the, I'm, I'm, I'm in your boat because they blocked the story. They can't start reporting on it now. It's not so much that they blocked the story because they stood by and let it happen. Um mm-hmm. They now can't start reporting on it because people like me are going to go, oh, this is a news story now. 
you know, two years after the election, suddenly we need to start looking into this stuff. Um, and that's why they made their beds. And I think a good chunk of them probably know how bad it looks in the sense of why they can't report on it, because they just they know that people like Tucker Carlson are going to jump all over this and say, so now it's a new story, but you couldn't report on it during the campaign. Um, so to answer your yeah. question, and, and Hunter I mean, Biden's the the drug that... shit, I'm not interested in, whatever. I know the problem is we do have, I mean, there's proof of voicemails of Joe Biden, you know, talking to Hunter Biden about China. There's, you know, yeah. Joe Biden wiring him money for human trafficking victims. There's a part where he's on camera and he's telling that girl, so, you know, I didn't hurt you, right? I didn't yeah. hurt you. Okay. He, he and sounds he, like a, a 1L law student trying to like outsmart. Yeah. Some girl yeah, that's exactly what it is. He's trying out. to get her on film to say, I didn't abuse yeah. you. It's yeah. a really disturbing clip. Yeah. And they're doing the thing where they just hope conservative media are the only ones to report on it, and then they can ignore it, and then it just becomes a story in conservative media. Um, well, I, I agree. And, like, uh, and so what's going to happen is, yeah, real fast, what's going to happen is, is the GOP is going to take the House, and when they're sworn in next year, uh, the January 6th committee will be dissolved. Whether you think it should be or not is beside the point it will be. They are going to set up an investigative House committee on Hunter Biden. Uh, he may have to testify. Um, you're going to start to hear grumblings of having Joe Biden testify. Why? Well, because you want Trump to testify, and this is the road we go down. Um, and so you're going to hear this hearing, and the media is going to jump all over this and say, he's not a government official. You're going after the president's son. How dare you? Whatever. Um, but that's when they're going to have to cover it, when they're going to be forced to cover it, because the GOP starts holding... Uh, national security briefings on him and, you know, investigations into the the contents of his laptop, emails, et cetera. So that to me is at least when you start to see that happen. Yeah. And, and I agree like his, uh, his drug exploits while they're humorous and you'd wonder why anybody would record all that and put it up in the cloud. Uh, I mean, the stories this week were, were all centered around like touching his dad, whether it, it, like you said, um, you know, the wiring the money for the prostitutes or the equity firm that he is a member of buying and getting some of the strategic oil reserve. So it's directly touching the vice presidency and the presidency. And it's still just a conservative only story. And it seems like if you mention anything about it, they're just like, oh, what, why do you uh, have to talk about this attic? He's, uh, you know, he's struggling. He, he's brave because he that's, went to rehab and he opened that's exactly up about it. How why do you got to keep bringing it up? That's exactly how they'll frame it, which is why I've cautioned to not focus on that stuff. If there's laws are breaking, great. If if he's in a video hitting the crack pipe while talking about Burisma, okay, all right. But I think if you – when an investigation comes, and I think it will, I think you have to stay away from that stuff and strictly handle what – his emails say and what, you know, the voicemail says with Joe Biden and, and what he's doing in these videos with human trafficking victims. And again, the wire money. And again, this thing with Joe Biden selling a million barrels of oil to a Chinese firm that his son co-founded. Uh, pe- people have said, is there anything you can impeach Biden over right now? I think that that's one right there. Uh, yeah. If you can, with the free beacon says they have the paper trail for it, they can show it. And Again, the, this White House with their amateur press secretary and comm shop just goes, we're not going to answer on Hunter Biden. That's a problem. When when Corrine Jean-Pierre says, when Ducey asked him about this voicemail, she said, you need to ask Hunter Biden's representatives. 
Hunter Biden was in the White House on July 4th. He was just at the White House for the Medal of, of the, mm-hmm. the Presidential Medal of Freedom ceremony. He, so he's there all the time. And yep. again, if Joe Biden was smart, he'd say, I don't want you anywhere fucking near this White House for right now. Nowhere near it because there's a there's an investigation and you're probably going to see a special counsel, um, depending on if it's Merrick Garland or whomever there. He's going to be under enormous pressure to appoint a special counsel into the nature of Hunter Biden's relationship as it, as it comes to with China, Ukraine, Russia, and how much of that money stems straight from Joe Biden, which we know that there is some. And so, again, the media is going to run their playbook. It's going to be you're attacking you're attacking a drug addict, um, which, let's face it, Hunter Biden is the coolest thing about the Democratic Party, just while we're on there. Um, they're going to say you're attacking a drug addict. They're going to say this is a conspiracy theory that you're cooking up. And they're going to they're going to run the exact same playbook that they've that they run on these things that they did on Benghazi or Lois Lerner or, or or whatever. And the problem is there's more media now that they don't have that kind of grasp and control over like they did 10 years ago with Benghazi, where they could just shoot that down immediately and make it look like a conspiracy through uh, right wing media and Fox News, which it wasn't. Um, I've noted to this day, not a single reporter asked Barack Obama where he was and what he was fucking doing on the night of Benghazi. We don't, we still to this day don't know what he was doing. And they said, well, well, he was, he was overseeing the situation. Then why weren't jets scrambled from Tripoli? Because he's Mm -hmm. the only person who could authorize that in the United States military. They couldn't, if any commander does that, they're court-martialed. So he's the only one who could do it. And it didn't happen. So clearly we, we don't know where he was. And so our media, when I, when someone like me raises that question, they're like, "Oh, see, here comes the here comes the Benghazi conspiracy," mm-hmm. and this is what they're going to do. And so, yeah. if they were if listening see, to my advice, my advice is: you stay away from the drugs, you stay away yeah. from the addict shit, unless it's directly referenced in a video or whatever. Uh, you're not there to humiliate him, so you don't throw up like him dressed as a pony with a dildo around his head or whatever. Um, you only play it as, as it references to what he's saying in the video. And like I said, that, that one with the Russian call girl, man, that's, that was fucking disturbing. Like yeah. that's something. And especially when Joe Biden was the one that wired him the money for that, man, yeah. like I said, that that's when the media is going to be forced to cover it, but they're going to just run the same playbook. Do you think it's uh, some of the GOP right now talking about how they will uh, investigate him? Do you think it's a, uh red meat thing kind of like oh we're gonna put hillary in jail i feel like there's a lot more substance behind hunter biden even though a lot of people are like oh please don't do this yeah no i i i think that there is substance to it that's the thing is um i I think the contents of that laptop and how that all happened is very relevant because it's it shows a direct line to joe biden that's it if if hunter biden was like back in the 90s we all we all laughed at roger clinton who's like bill clinton's you know sax guitar playing screw up drunken brother you know Mm -hmm. he was just kind of like the redheaded stepbrother of arkansas and he's just you know doing circles in the fields of you know little rock whatever he didn't have a lot of undue influence with bill clinton and hillary clinton this is different with hunter biden there's clearly a business relationship there Uh, hunter biden's clearly used his father's influence to push employment for himself business deals that affect the wealth of the family um, and then the question is, okay, how much does Joe Biden know about this? Well, Hunter Biden's in the White House every fucking day, okay? Mm-hmm. So to say that 
like Joe Biden said, I've never talked about business with him. Well, that's a fucking lie because we have your voicemail now. So if you can show a straight line from Joe Biden to Hunter Biden and how much Joe Biden knows about this, which he seems to know a lot, um, then, yeah, I think it's a substantial issue. And I think it's a, and, and more so it's a national security issue. And yep. I hate that I hate doing this. But again, we all know where we would be if this was Donald Trump and Don Jr. We all yeah. know how this would play out. And I just I laugh because I, I don't think Trump is just a, is just, you know, an amoral goody guy. But it is fucking funny how a lot of the accusations they made about Trump in Russia actually are happening with Hunter Biden in Russia. <laughs> like there's probably there's probably a fucking P tape with Hunter Biden. OK. And so that that is that is a fact that is not going to be lost on many people. We we know exactly how this would be going if this was Ivanka Trump or Don Jr. Um, and we know that that's a parallel. Um, the fact is they're not in office anymore. I think you have to deal with the, the relationship of Hunter Biden's businesses, um, how he spent money that his father wired to him. And the nature of the relationship of his business partners with Joe Biden, I think that that all can stand on its own. Yeah. And not to, not to beat it, but you bring up Don Jr. I always find it humorous when you have like Jonah, uh, Goldberg, Tom Nichols, you know, the, those type of people, they'll make, you know, their funny little remarks. If Don Jr. posts out a video and he's sniffling, they, they make uh, comments about how, oh, he must be a, uh, you know, on cocaine, he's definitely doing cocaine before he filmed that video. But I don't think any one of them has mentioned anything about the president's son that records himself uh, doing every kind of drug and doing anything and everything with uh, any prostitute he can pay. But it's a, it's a non-issue. He's not the president. You know, why would we talk about that? You know. Yeah, I mean that that becomes the problem when you become the scold, holding your holding your team accountable. When you become the cafeteria monitor for your own team, the, yep. the problem with doing that all of the time is you start to develop an audience that expects you to do that all the time. Yep. So, and Jonah's not an idiot, and and the dispatch and the bulwark crew aren't idiots. Some of them are, um, but. They know that the second that they hit Hunter Biden in a in a, in a hard way, that they're going to lose part of their audience. Now, that's going to go. Uh, you know, what about Trump? What what Don Junior? Don Cuck? Whatever. And they yeah. don't want to deal with that. They they're very happy in their in the audience that they've crafted, which is scolding the political right. And you know, like I said, playing cafeteria monitor. Which fair enough. There's there's times when they need to be scolded. But if that becomes your brand and that becomes your identity, which it is, mm-hmm. the second you deviate from it, you're going to start to lose your audience again. And they're going to start to think you're, you have Trump sympathies or whatever. And yeah. I, the, problem with, the problem with outlets like that, and I, said, and I talked about this with Megyn Kelly, which is when you craft your entire media persona around one person, around one politician, uh, like Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or Barack Obama – and that person is no longer around, you get what you see now, which is having to quote every single little thing about this person. So a good example is our media could not wait to get Donald Trump off of Twitter. They, they could ban him. He's going he's gonna to end the world. It's going to be World War III. He's going to kill us all, get him off Twitter, whatever. Twitter gets rid of Trump. And now what do you see from the media? They're posting every single fucking thing that he does at True Social onto Twitter. Yeah. Yep. And 
again, it, this, this is and the media would love nothing more than for Donald Trump to run again in 2024. So they can keep hammering what happened in 2020. They don't want a, a GOP that moves past that. And again, it's, it's a huge problem and it's huge hypocrisy with you claim you want Donald Trump nowhere near the Oval Office, but you can't stop fucking talking about him. And again, that's because you've crafted your entire brand and your entire identity around him. And now you're stuck. And so that to me is why you get people doing that while they obsess over every Trump statement or everything Don Jr. posts on Instagram or uh, everything that Eric or Ivanka does or whatever is because yep. that's what your audience expects from you now. And unless you tell your audience, I'm done with this, I'm not going to do this anymore, uh, then they're going to expect that from you, which is ironically what the thing that they say is how the GOP fell for Trump in the first place, because you weren't honest with your audience. And now they just took it and they, they're doing the same thing. They're just doing it in a different way. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, last thing I'll leave you with, uh, what's the cheapest amount you'd pay for a Nancy Pelosi OnlyFans? <laughs> how, how curious do you think? How, how, how much is she updating her content? That's the question. Is she is it like once a week. Is it going to be like, you know, just one photo a month? Uh, I don't know. Um, Maybe it's just, just it one really photo depends. reveal. It's, you know, like, uh, it's, it's funny. I've looked at OnlyFans only once. I don't have any accounts or subscription, but I was looking at this, I'm like, this is actually a pretty brilliant way to do a platform. Like, anybody can just come on and sell photos of their feet or whatever. Um, but um, what's the most, like, the ch- for a Nancy Pelosi only, like, are, what kind of content are we looking at? Are we looking at uh, full, full-blown nude sex work, or are we just looking at, like, Bikini uh, full, photos. Full, no, just a full blown nude. She does a big reveal. Goes <laughs> off those triple D's. Is she doing like different outfits? Like, like one moment she's a like a sailor, and then the next one she's like a ski bunny, or, or like what is she just? Or is it just her standing in the bathroom? Like, what do we? What is there? Is there effort I mean, I, with, with these photos? Want to pay for it? Or is, is it like? Are they actually doing like pinup photo shoots, or or is it just like her just standing there? We'll say a pinup photo shoot. She's an old timing gal. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'll, how about this? I'll say I, I would be willing to go like the four ninety nine for thirty days route. Okay, and oh, that's sorry. it. With a with an immediate cancellation. If the I don't know if you can even do that. If you can cancel a rate, like because I know like that's that's usually what I do for like Disney Plus. If something comes out, I'll just like. I'll, I'll get it and go, all right, I'm going to watch this. And then like, I do that with Netflix and then I just cancel it immediately for the month. So I didn't know if you can do that, but I, I would do four, I would do the four ninety nine for 30 days with an immediate opt out. So I'm not charged for it. Um, and, and it, the account would have to be anonymous. So <laughs> no, you're not going to, you're not going to get my smiling avatar with like a thumbs up, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's the most. Yeah, I'm just so we did we did this on the last call, and I think what what would you rate Nancy Pelosi's voluptuous rack at on a scale of one to ten? I'm going like an eight point two. Yeah. <laughs> so is it like so we we had a discussion about this? Like somebody gave it a four just because it's her, and I'm like, okay, pretend it's not her. Like, what if you just if it, if you just saw a photo of like man on the street, and I went up and I handed you a photo of that swimsuit without her head. What would you, and they couldn't get over it. They're like, no, it's seared into my brain. Um, So yeah, I think for like, for a granny like that, I I think about a six or a seven, all natural. Like somebody thought that they were enhanced and I I didn't see that, but um, 
Yeah, I, I, four ninety nine for thirty days, just to see what it's like, just to see what it's about. Uh, but it would have to be an opt out. It can't be like reoccurring every six months, like the athletic or something. Yep. No, I agree. All right. Curiosity would get me. I don't know. But <laughs> thanks, Stephen. Cheers, Mike. Um, Connor, wrap it up. Uh, then we can all go back our weekends. Thanks for waiting. Thanks everyone for listening. We ran a little bit long, but whatever. Uh, Connor, bring us home. What did you think about anything that you heard this week or anything else that's going on in your mind? Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you're good. All right. I just want to talk about uh, two things. The first is Sri Lanka, which has seen a complete collapse of the economy and government. And just to give a quick rundown for listeners, a couple of years ago, they took a big Chinese loan to build some new port. Uh, I'm not a big econ guy, but it didn't go well. And then they got a prime minister pre-COVID who basically, I mean, it's not entirely comparable, but kind of went full Green New Deal. Listen to academics and activists and just banned all uh, non-organic fertilizer. Now, Sri Lanka has two major parts of the economy, agriculture and tourism. So you saw that fall apart because they're just simply, look, look I, my personal life, I'm like, I like organic farming. I like that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's not sustainable to do in a whole country like that. So you saw the agricultural section collapse. And then COVID happened. The tourist section collapsed. And basically a couple of days ago, uh, the prime minister declared bankruptcy. And then last night, they stormed the presidential palace, about 10,000 protesters. The prime minister resigned. They burned his house in any way. They're having just, a pool party as we speak. Yeah, right? no, they were. And then uh, about an hour ago, they uh, they stormed the central bank. And I just think it's interesting because because of the focus of the friendliness towards China and also focus on green stuff, you're not really seeing a lot of coverage on why it happened in the media. Um, yeah, so we touched on this a bit. And basically, I mean, to sum it up, what happened in Sri Lanka is kind of like Davos's wet dream it's you know klaus schwab's the you know great reset it's kind of their it's kind of you know their utopia and it's now it's just completely falling apart there's no fuel there's no food um now you have unrest you have economic collapse and people were saying that this is a feature not a bug because now you can install any government you want in sri lanka and so now maybe it's a complete agrarian society and you get your socialist green new deal utopia and now we can see how that goes um but there's, like I said, there's a reason why I said this kind of the intro, which is the photos you're seeing of like, you know, all the protesters storming up into the palace, which look like little ants on a hill. And then, of course, you know, the photos are undeniable. You can't kind of really deny what's happening. But as this stuff subsides, the media is going to get away from the, what caused this and how it happened. Um, because, it, again, this goes against really the worldview of what the Green New Deal it really wants. And we're also seeing this now in Denmark where they're cutting they're, they're cutting like 30% of the cattle supply over methane emissions and the farmers are going broke. And it's like they're in full revolt. And so the natives are getting restless with this kind of stuff. But, you know, like I said, that this was, they, they kind of did this to, you know, please the environmentalist fringe wing of, you know, the, the new global order is what Brian Deese from the Biden administration called it. And now you have complete societal collapse. Um, so they'll, I, I, what we're probably going to hear is real Sri Lanka has never been tried, eventually, is what we're going to hear. Yeah, uh, sorry, I, I didn't join early. I didn't hear that. But uh, I'm just glad that Sri Lanka knows one-tenth of what January 6th was like. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, I've been reading a lot of, like, classical uh, texts. And the idea of Joe Biden as, like, a pathetic, tragic figure he dedicated his entire life to becoming president, lost one family, lost his son. His other son's probably going to go to prison. 
he dedicated his entire life to this. And I mean, you, you think you'd be good at something you train your whole life for. So it's just kind of this surprising kind of pathetic thing we're seeing in the white house. Um, he ran, I, I think part of it is he ran for this. He's been running for this job since the mid eighties and he was always kind of the punchline. He, he never garnered more than one or 2% of the vote. And if Barack Obama doesn't select him as VP, let's, let's, let's take ourselves into an alternate reality where Barack Obama selects like Hillary Clinton, for instance, instead of uh, Joe Biden, which is what the media wanted at the time. You, you know, they wanted him to pick her uh, because, you know, at the time those were the two rivals and now they could team up and it'd be great and take on John McCain. So let's pretend he never picks Joe Biden. What, what do you think happens with the rest of his career. He probably stays a senator. He'd probably still be the senator. Um, and he would just be languishing through the Senate as a fucking oldie fuddy-duddy punchline. Uh, he probably would have run in 2016. Um, he probably would have run again in 2020. Um, and because that's just what Joe Biden did. He just always ran for president, but he was always a punchline. He was never taken seriously. Until basically he was taken seriously. And the reason why is because all of the people that he was always running with, you know, the Dick Gebhardts, the Hillary Clintons, the John Kerry's, you know, the Ted Kennedy's, uh, the Chris Dodds, all of these guys either died or they fell by the wayside. They all didn't, they couldn't do it. So the only option left became Joe Biden. Um, and I, I would argue Joe Biden's election was very similar to Donald Trump's. It was just the the right person meeting the right moment at the right time. And that's it. And, and there's not much more to it. So Joe Biden's just running for president, running for president, running for president. Barack Obama basically rescues his career over this. So it's like Joe Biden would always be getting one or 2% of the vote. Obama makes him VP, gives him direct access to the Oval Office. Um, Obama always has him behind him and standing there and whatever, which is always weird. And then, uh, I still submit if, if Joe Biden runs in 2016, he's definitely the nominee and he, he maybe wins. He maybe beats Trump. Um, but anyway, he, he runs in 2020. Now he's the president. But so he's been running for this job his whole life. OK, he's kind of the dog that caught the car. And that, now that he's president, I don't think that he cares about doing the work. I, I think he's still governing like he's a senator. He doesn't understand the actual mechanisms of, no, you're the guy in charge here, okay? We need decisions on things. Something that's really interesting is we keep circling back to certain issues, and they just asked him again about student debt relief, and they said, oh, this decision's coming probably later this summer. Like, dude, you've been talking about this since February, and you haven't made up your mind on this yet? And that's what I mean. He's a guy who just doesn't make up his mind on things because I just, one, he's fucking... It has to be carbon dated to get out of bed in the morning. And two, I just don't think he's that interested. I think that he looks at it as I beat Donald Trump. I'm the president and I, I'm going to carry the weight of the office with me. Um, but as far as like the holy shit, our country's going down the fucking tubes. He doesn't know how to shift gears because he's 85 years old. Okay. That's a lie. Um, he's, you see these demands for always getting Joe Biden to switch gears. You better step up the urgency. You better have you, any of you who have an 80 year old grandfather, have you gotten them to change their mind on anything? No, you have to like force them into the car to take them to the doctor or the old folks home. Okay. That's just how it is. And that's who the president is. He's the, he's the stubborn 80 year old grandfather and he's not going to shift course. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to fire people. 
Um, because I think part of it is, he said he doesn't believe polling. I think that that's genuinely part of it. I think he looks at it and says, I beat Donald Trump. And how, how the fuck am I worse than him? I can't be worse than him. That's impossible. And nobody's willing to sit him down and go, right now you are. Your polling is worse than his. And that's just kind of how I look at it. I think he's just happy to be there. He's happy to have other people just give him the speech, go out there, read the teleprompter, not literally read the teleprompter like you did yesterday, but I think he's just happy to be there. He's happy to look like the president. And I think he's happy to have everyone else do the little tasks. And also we just saw this, I think it was in Politico or maybe it was CNN where he just, he unloads on staff members. He delegates the tasks, they fuck it up and then he yells at them. That sounds awfully familiar like the last guy. Although I would argue Trump was probably way more hands-on. He was more of a control freak. Um, and they're saying that that's why a lot of the staff is leaving. They just, they can't work with him because he just doesn't know what he wants. So he delegates the tasks to the little people. He goes out and he appears with the Easter bunny and then he comes back and he takes a fucking four hour nap. Like if you look at his schedule and I think it was Jim Garrity from national review who really pegged this, he doesn't do anything. We don't even get photos of him in the oval office every day. They wheel him out for like a 20 minute speech and then he's gone and we don't see him again. And, or they put him on the airplane and then they fly him out to Ohio and he gives a speech and then he's back. That's his entire presidency where we don't even see what he's doing. And that's suspicious. That should be really suspicious to a lot of people. Um, you just had this thing from Charlie Spearing where they removed Norman Rockwell artwork off the walls and put giant photos of Joe Biden on the walls. And you had people make a comment like, this is a recall thing. Like, this is something recall doctors do. And they tell you to do is put poster, you know, pictures on the wall for sundown patients. Um, I don't know if that's the reason why. The first, the first thing I assumed is they thought Norman Rockwell was white supremacy and racist. And I'm like, but hold on. He's the guy who, he's the guy who did the illustration of the black girl going to school. So I'm like, you can't use that excuse. Um, so... I look at it and I say, I think Joe Biden's just happy to be there. That's it. And he's happy to say he's the president and he's happy to just, hey, grandpa, just go read the speech and we're done for the day. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And then he goes out, he fucks it up, and then they have to spend the next two days explaining his gaffes. But that's, that's kind of how I look at, you know, what his presidency is and why it's just going down the tubes. He's just not there. And... I've always said this country takes on the attitude of its president. Um, We saw that with Obama and we saw that obviously with Trump. It's we take on sort of the culture of who's in charge with that. And so that's why you have 88% of the country just going, and it feels like nobody's really in charge. Did I, did I lose him or did I, did I kill you? Nope. There he is. Let's take him. Go ahead, Connor. Oops, sorry, I hit the wrong button. So do you think that, uh, last thing, this will be another, like, when we finally get a sober history of the Obama years, rescuing Joe Biden will be another mark against him? Uh, I think it already is. If you look at some of, like, hard progressive writers, what they think about Obama's presidency, and I talk about some of my podcasts, like Matt Stoller and a few others, they're, they're the progressive wing. They, they look at Obama's presidency as just like a corporate spokesmanship. Um, he didn't do really much that he promised he was going to do. He didn't, you know, they, they wanted him to prosecute, you know, bankers for what happened on the economy crash in 2008 and all of the stuff. And they, they already look at it. I, I don't think 
because we're so far out of Obama's presidency that I don't think that they're going to look back on Obama's legacy and say Joe Biden, because Joe Biden has been around for so fucking long. Like, you know, Obama came on the scene and it was like a, it was like a firework. It was just like a, a political anomaly. And, but Joe Biden has been there since the 1970s. So I don't think oh, Biden will be attached to Obama. Now, I cannot say the same thing for Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris will be tied to Joe Biden forever. And Joe Biden will be tied to Kamala Harris, especially if Harris is the nominee in 2024, which I still think there's a chance she is. And she loses 42 states to someone like Ron DeSantis. And then it's, why the fuck did you pick her? She dropped out before Iowa. Um, I also think it's Jim Garrity has written about this as well, about, you know, Kamala, Joe Biden is going to be Kamala Harris's legacy. And Kamala Harris is going to be Joe Biden's legacy. There's rumors like Joe Biden wanted to pick Chris Dodd. Uh, there was somebody else that he was talking about picking, or John Kasich was another one. Um, Joe Biden wasn't looking anywhere close at the people that Joe Biden's people wanted him to pick. Uh, Joe Biden wanted, he's an old guy, you know, he's an old classic establishment Democrat. He wanted to pick one of his buds. And obviously George Floyd happens. And it's like, nope, you have to pick a black woman. <laughs> so here's your five. Okay, here are the five you can pick. Um, I always said that I thought maybe he'd pick Amy Klobuchar. And then, of course, she's from Minnesota. You can't pick the white woman who was a prosecutor in Minnesota because she's responsible for George Floyd. And so he went with the safest pick as far as legislatively, because you could pull Kamala Harris out of the Senate, make her vice president or make her your running mate. And you know that that seat is going to be filled with another progressive, probably another black woman. And now you've hit your quota. Um they didn't stop to think how bad of a politician Kamala Harris is, or maybe they could control her uh, because when they brought her on, they told her as a condition of her being VP or her as a running mate, you can't bring any of your people because her campaign was notoriously dysfunctional to the point where like political wrote about it. Um, and she's the first person who dropped out before Iowa. So they weren't really thinking long term. I don't think they were thinking what happens if Biden steps aside and Kamala's nominee. We're going to get fucking killed. Uh, you're talking about a woman who just constantly sounds like she didn't do the assignment. And that's not going to fly with someone like Ron DeSantis who can just rattle off six points without blinking. Um, I don't even know if it works against Trump. Um, I don't know. So I, I don't think Biden is part of Obama's legacy because mainly Obama has separated himself from Joe. He didn't even endorse Biden until the general, which that was weird. Um, and I don't think, I, I always thought Obama looked at him as just a fuddy-duddy. Like, he was always trying to shut him up. <laughs> like, with Joe Biden, like, it's a fucking deal, man. And Obama's like, oh, okay, thanks, you know, push him away. Um, he's like, dude, you're just assassination insurance, okay? Just stay away, you know? Uh, but I do. I, so I think Biden is his own entity, but I don't think that that's the case with Kamala. I think Kamala is going to be tied to Biden and vice versa for forever. OK. And last thing, uh, Shinzo Abe, one of his big things in Japan was creating families and increasing the fertility rate. So in honor of him, I want to induce all the people listening to shoot your shot this weekend. Go talk to someone and get their number. It's what he would have wanted. Yeah. And there's also some great clips of him. Like, you know, there, there, he has like a weird cult following in, in the manga community and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what was so weird about the media reaction to him. And, and thanks Connor. I appreciate it. I'm going to kind of remove you there. Um, 
that this was a guy who seemed to be universally liked and it was and universally respected, uh, except I guess when it comes to NPR because he just wasn't pro BLM enough. I don't know. Um, thanks again, everyone. I know I said this was kind of impromptu. I just you know like whatever. It's too fucking hot outside, so I was like, ah, let's just do a quick call in. Whatever. So I appreciate you guys jumping in. I appreciate you guys listening. And thanks to all of you guys who jumped up to speak. Um, this has been episode 25, Brunches for Assholes, part two. Uh, just week in review. Uh, I should be back uh, versus media on Tuesday. Uh, hopefully, um, that's not always cemented, uh, which is over on Patreon. You can also obviously get me on Twitter at Red Steez. So again, thanks for joining in. Go enjoy your weekends. Uh, go have a Bloody Mary. Uh, Go have a nice piece of cantaloupe or something, and uh, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks.